Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Luke 17, let's all stand, and we'll begin reading in Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, just two verses this morning, Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, and uh, since we have a shorter text here, let's read this all together, if you don't mind, beginning in verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Father, now we ask that you would give us wisdom and insight as we study your word on this uh, important subject of the kingdom of God. Give us clarity, give us wisdom, give us insight from scripture and help us as we seek to Further advance your kingdom on earth. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is one that I have been praying will have a lasting impression uh, on everyone who hears it. Maybe I should be praying that way about every sermon, I suppose. Uh, But I recognize that when you come to church week after week and you hear dozens of sermons a year, a lot of them tend to just kind of fade away over time. But if I could choose one theme that would shape the culture and set the direction for our church going forward, it would be this topic of the kingdom of God. It's a subject that many today misunderstand. I confess that a few years ago, if you would have asked me, what is the kingdom of God? You would have gotten a very muddled and confused answer. The kingdom is not emphasized very much in Christianity today, and yet it is simply unavoidable. As we've been preaching through Luke's gospel, it just keeps coming up over and over again. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. It's the theme of Jesus' ministry, especially in the synoptic gospels. And so this morning, I want us to take a deep dive into this subject of the kingdom because it is so central to our understanding of the gospel, and yet it is so sadly minimized and misunderstood today. So get ready for a Bible study. Uh, We're going to begin in the Old Testament. We're going to work our way through Scripture, uh, tracing this theme of the kingdom of God on earth and what it means for us. Uh, To begin, we really need to start with the Davidic covenant. First uh, Chronicles 17. This is when God says to King David, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, this is talking about him dying, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. So the the promise there given to David is that one of his descendants will have a kingdom. He'll sit on the throne and it will be established forever, never-ending kingdom If you're wondering who that's talking about, uh, listen to the words of Psalm 45. This is another prophecy of this coming king. Psalm 45, verse 1, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. And so he's talking to this king. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. So God has blessed this king that he's talking to forever. Verse 6, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Wait a minute, I thought God had blessed this king, but now he's saying the king is God. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of a brightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, that can be a really confusing text. Verse 6, he says, uh, your throne, O God, is forever. So he's talking to a king on a throne who is God. Then verse 7, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. So is he talking to God? But well, that doesn't seem right because he's saying God's anointed him. Well, this is where we see the Trinity. Uh, that is the answer, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity is the answer to that seemingly confusing text. For those of you who've been coming to our Bible study at uh, Sundays at 10 a.m., you're very familiar with the Trinity. We've been talking about it quite a bit the last few months. Uh, scripture teaches us that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God. One God in three persons. And so here in Psalm 45, we have a prophecy of the Son who is the coming King. This is speaking of Jesus. And God the Father is the one who anoints Jesus as King. Uh, this is explained in Hebrews 1, which says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, speaking of Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, talking about him dying on the cross for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then in verse 8, he quotes Psalm 45, the text we just read, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So he says, to the Son, your throne, O God. So the Son is God, the Son is this coming King. This is all speaking of Jesus. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so it is the Son, it is Jesus, who is this coming King. It is Jesus who will sit on the throne and rule forever in his kingdom. And this isn't just in Psalm 45. We see the prophets throughout the Old Testament said similar things of Christ, that this King would come that he would set up his kingdom on earth, that he would rule forever over the world. Here's a, a good example, Isaiah 9, 6. You may be familiar with this verse. People talk about it a lot at Christmas time. Uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So this son is given, this child is born. Speaking of Jesus, the baby born in the manger. And it says the increase of his government and peace will have no end. So he's going to come, he's going to set up a kingdom, and it's going to increase and overtake the world. And the throne, he's going to sit on the throne of David, he's going to have that kingdom, and it will be established forever. So uh, another prophet, uh, let's, let's go through... Uh, Two more prophecies. Daniel would be the next one. Okay, Throughout the book of Daniel, again, talking about, over and over, this coming king. Daniel 2.44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forevermore. So this could not be clear. The God of heaven is going to come and set up a kingdom that will overtake all of the world. It will stand forever. 
Uh, chapter 7 of Daniel also, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. By the way, when Jesus repeatedly throughout the gospel says, I'm the son of man, he's referencing and quoting here from Daniel 7. So Daniel sees coming from the clouds one like the son of man. He came near to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so the son of man is going to come. Uh, he's going to be given a kingdom, glory, dominion. All peoples, all nations, all languages on the earth will be in service and, and uh, under his authority as king. They will serve him. Uh, dropping down to verse 27 of the same chapter. The kingdom, the dominion, the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So this seems very clear, very straightforward. Uh, Jesus is going to come. He's going to sit on a throne. He will rule over all the world. Everyone will serve and obey him. And his reign as king on the earth will go on forever. All peoples, all nations, all languages, everyone will be a Christian, if we can say that. They'll, they'll all be following Jesus as their king. Everyone submitted to Jesus as Lord and King. And in that day, when that kingdom is here, the world will be characterized by peace, righteousness, and justice. Uh, this is what is known in Scripture as the new heavens and the new earth, where righteousness abounds, because Jesus is ruling and everyone is under his lordship. Uh, one more prophecy in the Old Testament, and then we'll see its fulfillment in the new. Psalm 2, verse 7, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. So again, very clear, Jesus is given the nations, all of them. The ends of the earth are his possession. So he is here pictured as reigning over all people with the world in subjection to him. Now to us today, this may all sound great. Uh, we're pretty frustrated with politicians, I think. Uh, left, right, and center. Politicians say things and don't follow through. They make stupid choices. They tend to be immoral char of character, at least many of them. And so we tend to be very frustrated with politicians. And the idea of Jesus coming, uh, a perfect king reigning in justice and righteousness, reigning over all the world, everybody listening and obeying the commands of Jesus, that would solve all of our problems. Uh, but I want you to imagine that you're a Jew living in Israel during the time of Jesus, because I think they had a very different perspective on this kingdom than we do. Uh, we think, well, that would be nice. Okay, but Israel in Jesus' day was under Roman rule. They had been conquered by the Romans and they, they were being taxed by them. They were being forced to uh, follow their rules and they had no say-so in their government. And the Jews hated the Romans. Uh, they were their enemies. Uh, many times, groups of Jews would come together and try to overthrow Rome. Of course, that was impossible. The Roman Empire was huge. Uh, they, they conquered a landmass from England to India, all conquered uh, by the Romans, and they had soldiers occupying all that landmass, uh, keeping the people in subjection. And so although we may look at these prophecies of a Messiah coming and uh, setting up his kingdom on earth, we may think, yeah, that sounds really good. To the Jews living during the time of Jesus, they looked forward to this day with far more intensity. Uh, they were ready to be an independent nation again. Uh, to not have Roman soldiers occupying their land and forcing them uh, to do whatever they wanted, forcing them to pay their taxes. And so they were looking forward to this promised king who would come, who would establish his kingdom and rule 
forever. This was the common mindset of Jesus' day. We see this in someone, for instance, like Joseph of Arimathea, chapter 23 of Luke. We're told uh, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This is said of several people. Simeon would be another one earlier in Luke, where uh, Luke tells us that there were these people who were looking for. They were awaiting with anticipation this coming king who would set up his kingdom and overthrow the Roman government. Now, fast forward to when Jesus comes. He comes to earth, and the angel Gabriel makes crystal clear that this is the promised king. This is the one that all the prophets were talking about that would come and set up his kingdom on earth. And if you, if you were with us uh, 30 years ago when we started in our study of Luke, you may remember in chapter 1 uh, that Gabriel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There will be no end. So this, this could not be clearer. The angel is saying, here's the king. Uh, Jesus is the king that was to be born, this child that was to be given. Uh, his government will increase and spread over the world. This is this king that will come and set up his kingdom. And this is exactly what Jesus went around preaching. The arrival of God's kingdom on earth was his main message. Uh, Mark 1 verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's saying it's here. Uh, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. This was Jesus' message. In Luke's gospel, Jesus goes as far as to say that I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He says, I came to earth in order to spread the good news that the kingdom of God is here. Luke 8 verse 1, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This was Jesus' message everywhere that he went. And the 12 were with him. By the way, those 12 apostles that are mentioned there were sent out by Jesus in Luke chapter 9. And guess what they went around preaching? The kingdom of God. Luke 9 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. If you want more information about the details of their message, what exactly were they saying? Matthew 10 verse 7 gives us that. This is the parallel account. Jesus says to them, proclaim as you go, as you're going through these towns and villages, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. So they went around preaching, the kingdom is here. It has arrived. They weren't saying the kingdom is way off in the future, that someday Jesus would rule as king. No, they were saying it's here. It's about to start. Get ready for the kingdom. Now, let's get to the problem, because all of this so far seems pretty simple. Jesus is here. He keeps saying he's going to rule. His kingdom is about to start. And the disciples took this to mean that Jesus was about to launch a military rebellion against Rome. This is what they were hoping for and expecting. That the Messiah would come. I mean, if he's going to set up a kingdom on earth and overspread the world, of course he'd have to overthrow Rome, right? He'd have to uh, get rid of the current governments and establish his kingdom in, in Israel. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they had been anticipating, the coming of Messiah, who would overthrow the Roman government, set up his kingdom forever. And Jesus seems to be saying, I'm your guy. I'm the king. I'm the one who's going to come set up this kingdom. But they had misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. Luke 19, verse 11, this is where Jesus is coming near to Jerusalem. And it says, as they heard these things, 
he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem from chapter 9 to chapter 19. You remember this whole thing is this journey to Jerusalem. And the disciples are thinking, here it is, this is it. He's going to come to Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman Empire, and set up his kingdom here in Jerusalem. Uh, time to fight some Romans. This is what they're getting amped up for. They thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And that right there should be a clue as to the nature of God's kingdom. It doesn't come immediately. It comes gradually. Jesus goes on in the next few verses in Luke 19 to tell them a parable explaining that he wasn't going to Jerusalem to fight, but to die. He wasn't going to overthrow Rome. He was going to be killed by Roman soldiers. And the disciples could not understand this. Why would the king come and be killed? This is why when Jesus was arrested, you remember Peter takes out his sword and starts swinging. Uh, because he's ready to fight. He's thinking, you're not going to kill my king. We're here to set up the, the kingdom and kill all of you. And Jesus says, stop. Remember, he says, put your sword away. We're not here to fight. And he explains something of the nature of the kingdom in John 18. This is when Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Uh, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did, the, did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So Pilate is saying, you're some kind of king. Your own nation wants to kill you. Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So the kingdom of Jesus that he came to establish is not an earthly kingdom with physical boundaries. If it was, the disciples would have fought against Rome and kept Jesus from being crucified. But that wasn't the nature of Christ's kingdom. And this is where Luke 17 comes into play. I know it's taken us a while to get to our text, but here it is. I think it'll make a lot of sense with this background information. Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. Now, again, notice the question, when is the kingdom of God coming? They're saying, okay, you keep saying you're the king, the, kingdom, the kingdom's at hand. When is this coming? Notice his answer. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So he says, it's not a visible kingdom. They ask him, when are you going to get rid of the Romans? When are you going to set up your kingdom? He says, you guys have totally misunderstood. It's not a visible kingdom. Uh, Jesus explains here that the kingdom he had come to start wasn't what they were expecting. He wasn't there to overthrow the current government and set up his kingdom in Israel. His kingdom is different. It's in the midst of you. Uh, the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. If you want a simple definition, that would be it. The kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. Uh, normally, when we think of a kingdom, it refers to a place, a location where a king rules. Uh, it's a land that is a part of his jurisdiction. I think there's still a couple of kingdoms uh, out there. Thailand, if I'm not mistaken, is still a kingdom. It's still ruled by a king. Uh, there's, there's not very many of them. We're not very familiar with this, but it still does exist. There are countries where a king rules over the people. And that's what we think of as a kingdom. Normally, you can point to it on a map and say, within these borders, uh, the king of this kingdom rules. That's the kingdom. Anyone who lives there is under his authority and is a part of his kingdom. 
But according to our text, the kingdom of Jesus is different. It's not visible. It doesn't have physical boundaries. You can't go to the kingdom of God. You can't say, look, there it is. Rather, the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus. And it includes everyone who lives in subjection to him. And so if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a subject in his kingdom. If he is your king, then you are a part of his kingdom. And so did Jesus come to establish his kingdom? Yes, but not the way that the Jews had expected. The kingdom did come when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. That was the start of his kingdom on earth. He said in Luke 11, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. His miracle-working power throughout his ministry was evidence of the arrival of the kingdom of God. It had come. So Jesus is the king, and when the king came to earth, the kingdom began. And what confused the disciples and the Pharisees and really all of the Jews is, uh, where is it? You're saying you're a king and that the kingdom is here, but you're not overthrowing Rome. So when are you starting this kingdom? And Jesus says to them here in Luke 17, the kingdom is in your midst. You see these group of, this group of 12 apostles who are following me, who are submitting to me, uh, who are living by my teachings. This is my kingdom. Now, let me confuse you a little bit. Uh, you see there in verse 20 of Luke 11, Jesus says plainly, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's here now. That's Luke eleven twenty. Let's go back 18 verses, Luke eleven two, same chapter. Uh, this is the model prayer that we studied some months ago. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, wait a minute. He just said that the kingdom of God was here. Why should we pray and say, may your kingdom come if it's already here? Well, remember the prophecies we started with from the Old Testament said, a child will be born, a son will be given. The increase of his government will have no end. Okay, so the kingdom is supposed to cover all nations of the world. The ends of the earth would be his possession. His dominion would extend to all languages, all nations, all peoples of the world. Everyone on earth would serve and obey him as king. And of course, that has not happened yet. Uh, but that is what we are supposed to be <clears throat> praying for. The kingdom did come when Jesus came to earth. Uh, he said it. He said that it had begun. He said it was right there in their midst. Jesus had this little group of 12 apostles and some other followers who had given their lives to serve him. He was their king. And that little kingdom that started out so small would grow and grow over time in size and influence until the world would eventually be in subject, uh, submission to Christ. He says this in Luke 13, 18, a text we've studied before. What is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it became a tree. It, sorry, it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So just like a grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest garden seed that they had, it's very tiny, but it grows slowly over time into a tree that's large enough for birds to nest in. Such is the growth of the kingdom of God. Remember, the disciples didn't get this. They thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. A quick overthrow of the government and Jesus reigns. That's what they were expecting. But Jesus says, no, my kingdom is more like a little seed. It starts very small and it slowly grows in size and influence until it overspreads the world. So the kingdom is here, but it's not here fully yet. Uh, by the way, the kingdom has grown just like that mustard plant. 2,000 years ago, the kingdom consisted of a small group of disciples who followed Jesus around Israel. 
uh, after his resurrection, there's 120 of them. That's the total of Christianity. That's the kingdom of God right in that room. And today, Christianity has spread all over the world. And here we are today on the opposite side of the globe. <clears throat> we are a partial fulfillment of that promised growth of the kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. People all over the world serving and following Jesus. But we don't see every nation serving Jesus. Many people in our world do not live under his rule currently. And so we're in this already not yet kingdom. Uh, it's here partially. There are millions of people across the world today who are living for Christ, yet there are also many more who are not. And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we simply are praying that the rule of Christ would spread. We want to see more and more people in our world giving their lives to Jesus and following his teachings. We want God's will to be done throughout the world so that all are living in righteousness and justice and peace. That is uh, what we know the kingdom of God will be someday. Every knee will bow in subjection to Christ. The whole world, every nation, every people will be under his authority and lordship. But we don't see that yet. And so that is what we are praying for, that this kingdom of God will become more and more visible on earth. Uh, that's why in Matthew's account of the model prayer, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we pray for, that God's kingdom would continue to advance, which means more and more people in the world doing his will. So the kingdom of God is not a location. It's not somewhere you can go. It's a realm in which Jesus reigns, and it includes everyone in the world who is in subjection to him. If you're a true Christian, you are a part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom grows every time someone hears and believes the gospel of Jesus and repents of their sins. Remember, Jesus' message back in Mark 1 was, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. This is how you get into the kingdom. You turn from your sins, you give your life to Christ, and you believe the gospel. You believe that he died on the cross to forgive your sins and rose again to give you new life. And every time someone makes that choice to place their faith and trust in Jesus and turn from their sins, giving their life to Christ, they become a citizen in God's kingdom. Uh, Paul says this in Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you've been forgiven of your sins and redeemed by Christ, then you have been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. You're a part of his kingdom. So we've talked about the nature of the kingdom. Let's talk now about how the kingdom grows. Uh, we're supposed to pray that God's kingdom would increase. Okay, that his, his will would be done more and more in our world. How does that happen? And uh, here's the part the disciples really didn't understand, right? They expected the kingdom would come all at once. Jesus says, no, it comes little by little. It grows slowly, like leaven in dough, like a mustard seed that grows into a tree. Day by day, it grows. The kingdom of God grows one person at a time. Every time a sinner repents and gives his life to serve Jesus as his king, that's one more citizen in God's kingdom. And now our job as followers of Jesus is to advance the kingdom of God on earth by spreading this gospel. Uh, we do exactly what Jesus did. We do exactly what Jesus sent his apostles to do. We go throughout the world telling people that Jesus died and rose again for their sins, and we invite them to come be a part of the kingdom of God, to repent of their sins, have their sins forgiven, and their lives transformed, and start serving and living for Christ. And in the book of Acts, this is after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, uh, we see the early church did exactly this. Acts 8 verse 12 says, When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, 
they were baptized, both men and women. So, so Philip is here, he's preaching the gospel, uh, preaching that Jesus would forgive their sins if you place your faith in him and submit to him as your king. And notice, the people who received this preaching of Philip were baptized. Uh, baptism is the outward sign that you are repenting of your sins and committing to follow Christ as your king. That's the whole point of baptism. I believe Jesus died for me. He rose again, which is why we go under the water and come back up, symbolizing that death and resurrection of Christ. And I'm committing myself to live for him from now on. That's all in Romans 6. And so as Philip was preaching this gospel of the kingdom, people were accepting it and being baptized. And as that was taking place, the kingdom was growing one person at a time. Not only did Philip preach this message of the kingdom of God, but so did Paul. Acts 19, verse 8. He entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This continued, verse 10 says, for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul is persuading people to come be a part of God's kingdom. He's urging them to give their lives in service to Jesus. And after two years, the whole region of that area had heard the word of the Lord, this gospel of the kingdom. Now, we know not everyone who hears the gospel responds with uh, repentance and faith. You remember from the parable of the soils, Jesus told us when you preach the, the gospel of the kingdom, uh, some are going to receive it and some are going to reject it. But this is how the kingdom grows, by someone like Paul or Philip preaching it. And one by one, as people decide to turn from their sins and live for Jesus, this is how the kingdom of God advances. And this is what we are to pray for that people would turn from their sinful ways and live for Jesus, that they would let him reign in their lives. And the more people make that choice, the more the kingdom grows and God's will is done. Now, remember those prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of the whole world, all nations being in subjection to King Jesus. Here's another such prophecy in Psalm 22. I saved this one for now. Uh, verse 27 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Notice the certainty here. Uh, this will happen. All the ends of the earth will turn to the Lord. That's repentance. That's acknowledging Christ as king. All the families of all the nations will worship Jesus, and he will rule over all the nations of the world. That kingdom that started with Jesus and his small group of disciples, it's now grown to include millions of Christians all around the world. And it will continue to grow. When we pray, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done uh, on earth, just like it is in heaven, that, that prayer will eventually be answered. Uh, the more people are living out God's will for their lives, the more people are obeying the commands of Scripture, that's the kingdom of God being made more and more visible on earth. And there is coming a day when all the world will be living under the rule of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, this happens, notice, before the end. Okay, The gospel will be preached throughout the whole world to all nations before Jesus returns. And when he comes back, when he does, he takes his seat on the throne in Jerusalem and he rules over all the world. This is the ultimate, final fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ's rule. Uh, the kingdom that he, he started 2,000 years ago that has spread and encompassed millions today, it will continue to grow and spread to all nations of the world. Then Jesus comes back and he rules physically here on earth. That is uh, where history is headed, that ultimate kingdom of God on earth. 
Matthew 25, 31, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So there is still a future element. Uh, the kingdom has been inaugurated, but it's not fully here yet. It will be complete once all the world is in subjection to Christ and he is ruling over all nations. And the reason this subject of the kingdom of God on earth is so significant is this is really the meta-narrative, the, the background story of all of Scripture. If you just flip open your Bible to the first few pages, you find Genesis 1 and 2, God creates a perfect earth with humans living in fellowship with their creator. In chapter 3, humans rebelled against God and they chose to live apart from his rule. And the death and suffering and sin that we see in our world today is a result of that choice. Jesus came to heal all of that brokenness. He died on the cross so our sins could be forgiven, and he invites us to come live under his rule. And as this gospel of the kingdom grows, there are more and more people on earth living according to the teachings of Jesus. We will see creation renewed. And one day, Jesus himself will return and take his seat on the throne in Jerusalem. He will rule over all the earth forever. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. And that is what God is doing in our world throughout human history. He is redeeming us from our fallen state. He's restoring the world and all of humanity to that Garden of Eden ideal that we've ruined so long ago. And what's amazing about this uh, big story of what God is doing in our world is that we as his followers get to participate in this cosmic work of God. You and I are ambassadors of God's kingdom. We have the honor of representing our king and inviting others to join and be a part of his kingdom. And what we do now with our lives has an eternal impact. If we are faithful to spread the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus, those people will be raised from death with us in the new heavens and new earth when everything is made right. And so I wanna wrap up this morning with some practical implications for each one of us. We've been talking about some things that are rather abstract. Let's talk now about what is our role in all of this? Uh, number one, I think this goes without saying, but it really needs to be said, Make sure you're in the kingdom. The kingdom has begun, but it only includes those who have turned from their sins and surrendered to Jesus. Is that you? If you're not a part of his kingdom now, you won't be a part of his ultimate kingdom in the end either. The text that we read in Matthew 25 about when Jesus comes in the future and sits on his throne, that will not be a great day for everyone. Because Matthew 25 goes on to explain that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Everybody who, who has passed away will be resurrected and everyone will appear before Jesus' throne to give an account for their lives. And he will say to those who were a part of his kingdom now, okay, those who, were, who lived for Christ in their life, verse 34, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is his statement to those who lived for Jesus, who were under his authority as king throughout their lives. But those who hear the message of the kingdom and refuse it, those who rule their own lives like Adam and Eve did, instead of submitting to Jesus' rule, to them he will say, verse 41, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Are you a part of the kingdom of God? Have you repented of your sins and surrendered to Jesus? He died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and you could be a part of his kingdom. Don't make the eternal mistake of refusing his gracious offer. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, and I hope all of us here are, remember that he taught us to seek his kingdom as the number one priority 
in our lives. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We are to seek the kingdom of God first. Is that true of you? Is seeking the kingdom your top priority? It's so easy to get caught up in even good things in life that we neglect the most important things. And so what are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? When was the last time you shared this gospel with someone? Have you invited someone to church where they can hear this gospel of the kingdom? Does the way that you use your time and the way you spend your money show that the highest priority in your life is to see God's reign increasing on the earth, to see more people living out God's will and following his commands? This is our job as citizens of his kingdom, to pray for and seek the spread of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom of God. Uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he spent 40 days with the apostles, giving them some last-minute instructions. Uh, these were the men who would be going out to start the New Testament church. They would be entrusted with the kingdom of God to spread it. They would travel throughout the known world, as we see in the book of Acts, planting churches in the cities and towns from Jerusalem outwards. And In Acts chapter 1, we're told that Jesus presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. These are his final days, uh, training the apostles, and this is what he's speaking to them about. And then right as Jesus is leaving earth, he gives one final command. This is as he's literally ascending to heaven, uh, his last-minute marching orders for the church. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we've seen that already uh, throughout our, our study today. All authority has been given to him. He is the king. And because he is king, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, notice there we are to make disciples, not just believers. We don't go around trying to get people converted by praying a quick prayer or signing a card saying, I believe in Jesus. No, we want to make fully devoted disciples of Jesus. And this is how we spread the kingdom of God. Every time a person bows the knee to King Jesus and lets him reign in their life, the kingdom of God is growing. And our job is to be a part of that kingdom advancement, spreading the gospel, uh, baptizing those who convert, and then teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. This is how we advance the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, our church currently, as far as I know anyway, does not really have a mission statement. Uh, but I would like to change that. And here is my recommendation. A mission statement basically is what we ought to be all about, uh, what our church's focus should be on. And you're going to hear me saying this a lot uh, over the next several years, however long the Lord has me here. Our church exists to advance God's kingdom on earth, one disciple at a time. Uh, that's the big goal that we ought to have, seeing Jesus reigning over all the world. And every individual disciple is a piece of that big puzzle. So when you're giving the gospel to someone, when you're inviting someone to church, when you're giving and serving in the church so that others will be able to come and hear the message and become disciples of Jesus, all of that should be done with this goal in mind. It's not just about making converts. It's about making disciples. It's not just about winning people to Jesus, but also helping them grow as they follow Jesus. So each time that you're teaching or encouraging or helping another Christian grow in their discipleship, you are helping to advance the kingdom of God on earth. 
And so whatever influence you may have over family, friends, neighbors, children, grandchildren, use that influence to help them follow Jesus. Because God's kingdom becomes more visible as more people come to Christ and as those who are Christians live out that Christianity more. Everything that we do as a church ought to be with this goal in mind. And this ought to be the number one priority in each of our lives. Our church exists to advance God's kingdom on earth one disciple at a time. And so we give the gospel and we teach the Bible. Uh, remember, Jesus said part of our job is not just to baptize them, uh, but to teach them to obey all that he's commanded us. And so we spread the, the news that Jesus is king. We invite people to come be a part of the kingdom of God. And then for those who uh, repent of their sins and uh, submit to Christ, we teach them how to live as citizens in this kingdom. And so what does that look like tomorrow when you go to work for you to be a citizen in God's kingdom? How does Jesus reigning in my life and, and in my heart work out practically in my day-to-day -day living? Uh, learning and growing as a Christian, that's part of that invisible kingdom becoming more visible in our lives. Uh, one final text, 1 Thessalonians 2.12 we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so you see there, the kingdom of God grows in two ways. Uh, one is by more people being brought into the kingdom. And then two is by us who are a part of God's kingdom, allowing Jesus to reign more and more in our lives. And so think, well, what can I do to help God's kingdom advance? This is what he left us here to do. Uh, this is our instructions. This is our commission. And this ought to be the focus of our lives. Let's make sure that we keep our focus towards that end. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.